a meditation based off of that parable from Jesus from Matthew chapter 21. Picture this. The owner of one of the biggest wineries in all of Napa Valley, California, gives you a call this afternoon. He tells you about his next latest and greatest business venture. It's a vineyard here in Reno, Nevada. I know, maybe sounds like a bad idea, but, but hear him out. It's not just a one-acre plot. It's row after row after row of grapes, hundreds of acres as far as the eye can see. And it's not just grapes either. No, he has uh, he set up a, a, a facility there so that you're able to press and bottle all that wine. And, and it's not just broken down equipment. It's state-of-the-art equipment. Places where, where you can press the grapes. Uh, he has uh, vats and refrigeration systems, a, a bottling machine that can bottle well over 1,000 bottles in just one minute. This is a multi-billion dollar operation. And he wants you to work there. He actually doesn't just want you to work there. He wants you to run the whole thing. Pretty good deal, right? What's the catch? There's always a catch, isn't there? The catch is this. You give him a portion of the grapes that... That your, that your vineyard grows, that's it. Every year at harvest time, all you have to do is give them a small portion of what your vineyard produces. As far as everything else, you get to sell everything and keep the profit. I mean, that's what you would expect, right? I mean, after all, he's given you a multi-billion dollar winery. What you would expect is that you would give him his share every year. Right on time. But that's not what happened in the parable that Jesus told for us this morning. You would have expected that, that those, those farmers would have given this landowner his share of the grapes. But that's not what happens. And you maybe would have expected that, that after the first time that they didn't give him his grapes, he would have maybe taken a bigger step of action, but yet he sends servant after servant to go and, and maybe make right this relationship between him and the farmers. What we end up seeing is, is a picture of patience, but it's not just about some landowner in Israel. It really tells us an important truth about our God. It's that our God is, is patient, recklessly patient. And in that patience, we see his grace. I mean, you can already, you can already see the patience of that landowner when he, when he wants to set up a vineyard in the first place. This was a, a huge investment for that man to do. Um, it costs a lot of money, and, and it's going to cost a lot of time. It took about three years to produce enough grapes to make wine. So then when uh, he's not just sitting there uh, twiddling his thumbs while, while his grapes are growing. No, he, he, he builds a wall to go around his entire vineyard to, to protect it from, 
from predators, whether that be animals or, or even human beings. Not only that, but, but he also builds a watchtower to watch over his entire piece of property. And even he sets aside a place to, to press the grapes when, when the grapes are finally ready to go. You see a man who's, who's done everything so that his vineyard might produce a fruit. And then he moves away. Sounds a bit weird. I mean, after all, he's, he's put a lot of money into this, this new vineyard. But what he sets up in his place is what is called a tenant farmer. This was a pretty common relationship in that day. Um, basically, to pay to work that man's vineyard, these men would pay their rent in the form of a small uh, portion of what the vineyard produces. So every year at harvest time, these farmers would give a, a, a portion of the grapes back to that landowner. A pretty good deal for them. I mean, they get to work at perhaps one of the nicest uh, vineyards in all of Israel at the time. Uh, so then a couple years goes by, and, and we see, uh, we see a, a master, a landowner, who is probably just so excited to finally get to taste that, that wine that, that he has waited uh, a couple years for. And, and so he gathers up a, a group of servants to go down and get his portion of the grapes uh, so that he can finally taste it, right? And then he is stuck waiting. And he waits, and he waits, and he waits. And then finally, one of, one of the servants comes down the road, and he's limping. He's limping down the road, and he's beaten and bruised. The landowner runs up to the servant and says, what, what could have happened? The servant responds, eyes blackened and, and lip still bloody. They killed. They killed the rest of the servants you sent. And they even stoned one of us. I'm the only one left. Hmm. The landowner thinks to himself, must have, must have been some sort of misunderstanding. So he gathers a, another group of servants, this time even more than the first time, and yet the same thing happens. One or two return, and they are beaten, bruised, and bloodied. Place yourself in the landowner's shoes. What should he do now? He should probably send an army, right? I mean, the, these farmers are not giving him the, sh the share of grapes that he deserves. He should probably send an army and, and maybe teach these farmers some sort of lesson. But instead, he, he comes up with a plan. He says, they will respect my son. That's a pretty bold play. After all, they had killed everyone, almost everyone that was sent before him. But that's what he does. He sends his son. They will respect my son, he says. And I wish I could tell you that, he, that they did. I wish I could tell you that, that they took one look at the sun and then 
said, oh man, we have really messed up here. We should probably gather up the landowner's share of the grapes and then maybe, maybe things will be okay. I wish I could tell you that's what happened. But instead, they took one look at the sun and they saw an opportunity. They saw an opportunity to, to get to keep this vineyard that they're working at forever. They see the sun and they say, here we go. Let's kill him and take his inheritance. You might be thinking that's pretty foolish of them to do. After all, what landowner takes a look at his dead son laying there on the ground and says, oh, you, you who killed my son, do you want to take his inheritance? It doesn't really make much sense, but, but yet that's what they do. They take the son outside of the vineyard and they kill him. Now what? The landowner has a couple of dead servants, probably several dead servants, a dead son. He doesn't have an heir anymore. And he has to deal with a couple of farmers who are more like wanted criminals now. What's he supposed to do? That's the question that Jesus asks those who are listening to his parable when he told it. And they quickly respond, bring those wretches, those murderers, to a wretched end. But do you catch the irony? It's ironic because of who he is talking to. Jesus is telling this parable to the spiritual leaders in Israel at the time. They are the tenant farmers in the parable. They are the wicked tenant farmers in the parable. And at this point in Jesus' ministry, I mean, he is, he's just ridden in uh, to Jerusalem. Think Holy Week. He's just ridden into Jerusalem on a donkey. And all the people were raving and raving about this new king and shouting, Hosanna, save us! And the spiritual leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they saw that. And they knew that he was preaching and teaching in their synagogues. And they had had it up to here with this Jesus guy. And so there they were, looking for ways so that they could catch him. Maybe he'll tell a lie here, or, or maybe he'll say something wrong here. Of course, they weren't able to. Here, they were questioning Jesus' authority. And then he, he tells them this parable that's not so secretly about them. Because as I said, these farmers are the wicked tenant farmers. The vineyard is God's chosen nation of Israel. The nation that, that God had chosen out of all other nations at that time. The, and, and God had done everything for his nation, right? We think of the, the landowner building the, the wall to go around his vineyard. We, uh, and, and him setting up the watchtower. God had done everything so that his people would spiritually produce a fruit for him. And yet when it came time for harvest, they were unwilling. 
The spiritual leaders and, and even the people were, were unwilling to produce a fruit. And so what does God do? He sends servants. He sends his prophets. And then after they maybe beat up one, he sends another. And then they kill one, and then he sends another. And he sends prophet after prophet after prophet. And that may, may lead you to, to wonder a little bit, is God acting in stupidity? After all, they keep killing the, the, the prophet that is sent before them. Why does God keep sending his prophets? That's where this aspect of reckless patience comes in. I think of when we, when we think of the word reckless, oftentimes it has a negative connotation. You think maybe a, a, a reckless driver on the road, he doesn't really care about the, the consequences of his actions. He doesn't care about who he hits. You could say the same about God's patience. Of course, not in a negative sense, but, but in a positive sense. God's patience doesn't care what it hits. Because in God's patience, we see his grace. We see a, a loving God who is willing to keep sending these prophets so that his people would turn in repentance to him. This was a loving thing for him to do. And then when the time was right, he sent his son. They will respect my son, he says. And you know the story. They didn't. They beat and bruised him. They whipped him. They put a crown of, of thorns on his head. They took him outside the, hitty, the, the city to a hill called Golgotha. And they crucified him. They killed him. You may ask, why would God send his son to, to suffer all these things, especially since he knew what they had done to the prophets? Why, why would God do these things? Yet aren't you glad that he did? Because this parable, it's not just about the Pharisees and the Sadducees, is it? It's about you and me. How many times has... Has God called you in? And yet you were unwilling. How often has, has God set you up to produce fruits for him? And he really has. He has given you every spiritual blessing so that you might produce a fruit for him. Yet when it came time for harvest, you saw your fruit as your own. We saw our fruit as our own. We were selfish. And we abused God's patience. And then when, 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 he, when he asked for fruit, we, we, we would ask questions, right? What do I owe you, God? After all, it's my time, my money, my energy. What have you done for me? And then when, when he sends people in our life to, to turn us back to him, to, to call us out for, for maybe something wrong that, that we're doing, how do we respond to them? 
oftentimes we put up those walls, don't we? We ignore what they have to say, maybe, maybe even pointing out their sinfulness so that we can ignore our own. Oftentimes, it's not even a person, is it? No, we know very well what the Bible says in his words sometimes about that specific sin that, that we keep struggling with, yet we choose to turn the page, choose to ignore what, what it says for us in Scripture. It doesn't even have to be a person. We abuse God's patience time and time again. And it's not as though God's patience uh, makes him appear as powerless. No, God is just. And he, and he will bring those who abuse his patience to a wretched end. But thankfully, we see God's patience. And that's when we see his love and his grace. You remember the, the landowner who, who still sent his son, despite what had happened to the servants that went before him. In the same way, God still sent his son. Despite Israel's sinfulness and despite our own. We saw a landowner who was willing to do everything so that he might make right that relationship with those farmers. God is no different. Just flip through your, your Old Testament this afternoon and, and you'll see patience. Think about Adam and Eve, God's first chosen, first people, the people that he created. They were perfect. Yet they lost that perfection. They sinned. They ate the fruit. God could have started over. I mean, he could have started with a clean slate, but he didn't, did he? He loved them, and he promised to send a Savior to them. That's patience. You think about the, uh, Israel, God's chosen nation. And when it came time for them to be faithful, oftentimes they were too busy with other idols and too busy with maybe even themselves. Yet God didn't go nation shopping, did he? He sent prophet. And then he sent another one. And then he sent another one. And he sent prophet after prophet to his people to turn them back to him in repentance and, and to call them to be faithful to the God who was always faithful to him. And then finally, when the time was right, he sent his son. That's patience. He sent his son, and they rejected him. But thanks be to God, this is a marvelous thing, because the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. When Jesus speaks these words from, from Psalm 118, he's really saying this prophecy from the book of Psalms. It is about me. 
I am the rejected stone. And it's because of that rejected stone, the most important, the rejected stone that it has become the most important stone. The pivotal stone, the stone on which the whole foundation is built on. It's because of that rejected stone that God does not reject us. It's because of that rejected stone that God chooses to be daily patient with us. It's because of that rejected stone, our Savior, that our sins are forgiven and we have life waiting for us. We have a citizenship waiting for us in heaven. That's our motivation to produce fruit. That is why we produce fruits of, of thankfulness to a God for His ultimate act of love. Fruits of, of faithfulness to a God who is always faithful to us. And fruits of, of service for a Savior who always served those around Him. The list really goes on of, of fruits that we can produce out of thankfulness for what God has done for us. Uh, but, but one we can maybe pick out today. We can be patient. We can be patient with those around us and, and patient here in our community. You know, we, we live in a world that is kind of obsessed with instant gratification, don't we? That's why prime shipping exists, right? We want our things now, and then we start to get frustrated when they don't show up on our doorstep at time, or, or when our YouTube video doesn't load in 0.3 seconds, or, 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 or when our food doesn't come at the restaurant when we have set the appointed time in our head. We get frustrated, don't we? Instead, let's be different. Let's be patient. Because God was patient with us first. And so now, out of thankfulness for His patience, we can be patient. Like I said, maybe that's, maybe that's here with, with someone who is really testing your patience. Or maybe it's with a complete stranger, someone you've never even met. You can be patient with them, and they may, may even ask, Oh, why, why are you so patient and kind? Why are you so different? And then you can explain to them and tell them about your patient God who was patient with you first. And of course, there's going to be times when you're selfish again and, and times when you want to keep your fruit for yourself and, and, and times when you maybe even reject those who have been sent to you to turn you back to God. God is still going to be patient, forgiving you daily for these sins and giving you his grace. And out of thankfulness for his love, he's going to give you plenty of opportunities to produce fruits, plenty of opportunities for, for harvest. I kind of think of it like this, if, uh, if your, your son or daughter or maybe a grandchild brings you a, a picture that you have made, that they have made for, for you, 
What do you do with that picture? You don't throw it away. You put it right on the fridge, right? You put it in a frame and, and, and so that you can see it and look at it. Our God, just like a loving father, he's so excited to see with what we do, with all the opportunities that he gives us to produce fruits for him. And that God, that same God who is patient with his chosen nation, Israel, is still patient with us. And that God patiently is waiting to give you his abounding grace. Amen. Please stand. At this time,